Hello, and welcome back to Real-Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Mosier, joined once again by my co-host, Caitlin Redwing. And today, we are thrilled to be joined by GameSpot, Managing Editor, Giant Bomb Creative Director, and host of Spot On, Tamar Hussein. Uh, We'll be discussing how to cover a huge game, GameSpot's awesome lineup of new shows, and Tam's work across GameSpot and Giant Bomb. Tam, thank you so much for joining us amidst one of the, uh, as we discussed on our last episode, uh, busy seasons of games in recent memory. Thank you very much for having me. It feels good to just be able to talk about this kind of stuff instead of be actively like writing stuff down. <laughs> and I think that's the more stressful part of it. When it's like, hey, can you talk about this? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. But when it's like, hey, can you write about this? I'm like, oh, God. Go. <laughs> you should just do like the, what is it? Speech to text for everything <laughs> yeah. you have to write. I'm like, just sit here. Well, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but that is one of my techniques for when I'm like really suffering in oh. like review roadblocks, writers, ro- writers roadblock in, in reviews. I like speak it. Um, often like I used to do it. Maybe this is breaking an embargo or breaking some techniques, but like I do it with like one of my most trusted people, which is like my younger brother who I used to like, he's completely divorced from the video game industry. So he couldn't leak something if he tried. Um, <laughs> but also when I used to live with him and he was a kid back in the day as well. So like when I was struggling and I was coming up writing reviews and I, and I really had like a roadblock, I would just tell him about the game. And eventually by the end of the conversation, I'd have broken through that roadblock or that mental block that was kind of preventing me from going on so speaking reviews is is way easier for most people i think that's super interesting i've also i mean when sometimes it comes to writing a press release or a pitch or something i i talk with my you know mom or dad about like what about this actually interests you what what do you what about this makes sense and would you actually want to learn more not uh needing to know the complexity of the controls or whatever have you yeah it's a good way to approach it and get through it it helps you kind of like understand what's most important in an instant because you're not like caught up in the weeds you're you're kind of speaking to people who have knowledge like my younger brother for example is is very much into games um just not on the same kind of like actively looking out for stuff level as as we are so it's good to have someone like him which works out because like the audience we're trying to hit is can be people who are have this specialist knowledge but also we want to hit some of the broader people as well so it's, it's a good way to do it well tam i definitely want to pick your brain i'm curious if there are any examples of a- any big or small ways your brother has helped shape your your thoughts on big games and reviews and such but before we get into our main topic this week as always we start off with a get to know you icebreaker question and uh tam we got to start i think this will transition naturally into our big topic what are you playing right now Oh, uh, I have signed too many NDAs to reveal what I'm actually playing right now, <laughs> including one of yours. So I guess I should, shouldn't break that. Um, but I guess as, uh, the embargo has lifted on Street Fighter Six, so I can talk a little mm. bit about that. So that's a game that I've been playing a lot of. I'm a long-time Street Fighter fan. It was one of the first games that I fell in love with and kind of became the obsession. I used to play arcades. I'd stop after school to find fighting game cabinets anywhere and everywhere. A lot of the time it was King of Fighters, but... Street Fighter was my main uh, franchise and I have RSI in my hands as a result of playing arcade cabinets for so long and right now it's back in full force between Street Fighter and a bunch of other games um, but yeah it's a we just put our review up on GameSpot and it got 9 out of 10 and it's a phenomenal fantastic game I'm, I'm having a wonderful time with it um, 
some of the things that major things. Street Fighter Five is a game that I like and has progressed um, to become a much better game than the one that it launched at. But fundamentally, the core mechanics of it felt kind of rigid and in a way that I didn't expect from Street Fighter and also a way that didn't really gel with me. And this is completely the opposite direction where it's got a more flexible fighting game kind of set of mechanics. And being able to sit down and really dig into that has been really, really exciting. And at the same time, it's one of those games where you're like, I wish I was playing more of this, but I don't have time because I have a life that demands other attention from me. And I wish I was just constantly playing Street Fighter VI. Um, <laughs> so that's my, my main thing. Um, I also got like a new arcade. When I moved to the to, to the states a couple of years ago, I had to leave pretty much everything. I didn't want to bring a bunch of my stuff, including my fighting game sticks. Um, so I've been without one for a really long time, but thankfully um, I got hooked up with the Victrix Pro FS, and I've been putting that through its paces as well, and it's been fantastic. Um, beyond that, Zelda, um, as always, like I think Zelda is. Here's the kingdom. I'm slowly kind of like getting coming to terms with the fact that I'm not going to complete it very soon. I've never done a thing where I'm like, I'm going to play this game in short stints for the rest of the year or something like that. I'm very much not that kind of person. I'm like, I'm going to sink a bunch of time into finishing this and then I'll move on to the next game. And I just don't think that's possible with that kind of, with that game specifically. It's just a, a beast of a game. And, and I feel like part of the joy comes in taking each challenge uh, kind of one by one and coming up with the weirdest ways and trying to put the game through its paces and enjoying each moment as opposed to kind of pushing to these milestones that are like, you know, at the end of a chapter, a boss fight, this is the coolest part of it. I think the coolest part of it is in, in Tears of the Kingdom is every moment that you make the coolest part of it. So I'm trying to slow down a bit and, and enjoy that game at its own pace a bit more. And yeah, so that's the other main game I'm playing. But then between that, I, I also dip into like some comfort games like Bloodborne and, and Dark Souls and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's it's interesting you say that because our whole topic of the podcast is to talk about how do you review such large games. And I'm just thinking about like my own playthrough of Zelda right now. I'm about 50 hours in and maybe have uncovered a third of the map, done two of like the main like temples, sage temples mm. type things. Um, it's just so big. I'd, I don't know how anybody could sit in just play yeah. hundreds of hours of this game to try and 100% complete it. I am curious, though, how long it does take to do um, everything. Yeah, everything, I don't know. Because I'm I'm one of those freaks who, like, <laughs> I have I played for, I can't tell you, maybe like 30 hours or something, and I spent most of my time just, the first thing I do in, I did it in Breath of the Wild, it's like, I'm just going to find all the towers, and I'm going to yeah. uncover the whole map, and then I'm going to go around and get as many of the shrines as possible so I can have like max stamina and max health. And that's my approach. And I, I have, I accidentally did one temple, which was like, okay, cool. I'm in it now. I'm just going to try it mm -hmm. and manage to finish it. But my, like yesterday we played me and a bunch of friends got together and we like to sat in a room, like degenerates and did speak to each other and just looked <laughs> at our switches and played um, that for uh, hours on end. And my whole, kind of playtime was spent just finding shrines and trying to do them. Um, and uh, one of the folks that I was with, Andrew Goldfarb, who works at Sucker Punch, um, he's got pretty much all the shrines. He's got like 90 hours, and he's never talked to an NPC in the game. 
Wow. Or like a main wow. a mainline NPC. All he's done is just like find that stuff and any any basic stuff with NPCs who are like, hey, this is where you can buy stuff from. So like he's he will like look at my game and be like, I don't know what that is or how you got that, but okay, cool. But he's now also in a position where he's probably gonna once he starts doing the main quest, he's gonna hand in all of the quests at once because he's pretty much done everything without right. being told. So that's fascinating. Um but yeah, I don't know how how much time everything takes. We've got on the GameSpot team, we have one of the most foremost Zelda Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom experts. And I don't say that as like a way to gas ourselves up or, or as him up or him up, but he is genuinely like he's known for creating and finding techniques in in these games. Um, there's like te- techniques and speedrun tactics or like abilities and moves that are named after him. His name's Rei Narasaki, Max Blumenthal. And he does our like things to know about Zelda features. But he... I would ask, I'd, I spoke to him about how much he had played, and by the time the review came out, I think he had played like 100, 200 hours. And in oh, Breath wow. of the Wild, he's got maybe 6,000 hours in it. <laughs> so he's a little freak about these Zelda games. Um, but like, I don't I don't know at what level he f- like would say it's 100%. I think probably like 150, 200 hours is probably where, where you get everything done. But obviously to him, 100% means just destroying the physics system and the, <laughs> and the combat system to the point where it's it's ridiculous. He he played that game and there's a video of it out there. He created like a a weird aircraft that carpet bombs oh, everything yes. and like it's it's insane. Like the things that he's making and it's like oh I don't even know you can do that. I'm just making very long bridges right now. <laughs> you mean he wasn't the one making the crucifixion machines for the Koroks? <laughs> I'm sure he did make one of them. He had like one like his like weird carpet bombing thing was like it worked. It was like a platform that he'd stand on and it would just drop bombs constantly. But it was the targeting system was a drone on the ground that would go into encampments and they would like communicate to each other. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here. I, don't, I didn't know this was possible. He's playing uh, an entirely he, different yeah, he's game. He's playing a completely different game than I, most of us. I tried putting a slab of wood on yeah. four tires and <laughs> I accidentally swung with uh, one of my weapons that had a fire emitter attached to yeah. it. So it started going and it was burning and then I was burning alive and then it fell apart. <laughs> I made it like 10 feet. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's yeah. it for... Um, vehicles. Yeah. I am doing everything on foot. Yeah, I would. I would describe myself when I play that game as I'm Link, and he he is the hero of time. Like Max <laughs> is the hero of time. That's how he is. It's a different legend is being created by him than the one for me. Like when they tell my legend, they're gonna be like that asshole fell down a ravine for twenty hours and then somehow the began. And if only we could go back and tell all the Zelda fans, like whether you're playing Ocarina or Wind Waker or Twilight Princess, like, yeah. oh yeah, in 20 years from now, people will be creating attack drones in this yeah. franchise. You yeah, could have told me that in Breath of the Wild and I yeah. still would not have believed you. Yeah. This wind temple is going to be in the sky or like on a <laughs> dragon. Like, yeah. The amount uh, of times where I'm like falling or I'm like somewhere and I'm like, is that what I think it is? And like, it's something just the craziest looking dragon you've ever seen. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm avoiding that. Yeah. And I'm going over here. It's, it's a it's a spectacular game. And it's also one of those games that I, if truth be told, I find quite difficult to play because it is so open. I, I, I like a little bit of direction, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, go here, do this. And um. And it's been, I think recently I've been forced to kind of, not forced, but like I've been slowly training myself to play and enjoy games where it's just like, do what you want, 
you know, even games like GTA, where it's like a mission system, it feels kind of quite relatively enclosed where you know there's a path and you can still do these things. Whereas this game just feels just completely untethered from everything. Where it's like, here's a mission. We're not going to tell you how to do it. Just figure it out. And it's like, <laughs> I've seen people like spend a lot of time like puzzling things out. And then I've seen other people just be like, I just made a fire and I glided over everything. And it's yeah. just like, okay, cool. Great. My solution to everything is either the fire with the pine cone and glide mm-hmm. into things, or I just build really long bridges. Yeah. Like yeah. a bridge solves everything in this game. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm 100% accessing areas that I'm probably not supposed to be able to because they yeah. just chopped a bunch of trees down. My new thing is like, I, on new thing, or the thing that I do most is probably like I'll get a platform and then just like move it around like where I need, need it to go as if it's like a moving platform in like a Sonic or Mario game and then use recall to like have it go back and forth. So I just, I'm like creating these (laughs) platforms everywhere and getting to places quicker than I should because I'm doing like weird physics stuff. It's fascinating. It really is. A bizarre game. Well, uh, just as we planned, uh, this transitions nicely into our main topic because in honor of Tears of the Kingdom's release, we wanted to sit down and discuss how to cover a huge game uh, exactly like Tears of the Kingdom with you. Um, so starting with reviews at a high level, Tears of the Kingdom was reviews, reviewed by uh, Steve Watts, correct, mm-hmm. at GameSpot? Um, so as managing editor at GameSpot, when it comes to assigning a huge review like Tears of the Kingdom to Steve, like, what are your advice and guidelines? What does that conversation look like when the code comes in? Yeah, I guess like um, it's interesting because it's different for different people. And depending on who I'm speaking to, I have a different level of kind of guidance or I don't want to say control because it sounds like I'm like overbearing. I'm not that way. I like uh, for reviewers that I know and trust, I, I le- let them lead on how they want to approach it in a lot of ways. Um, if it's a freelancer, if I'm being honest, chances are a freelancer is not going to be reviewing something like Zelda. Um, I try and keep the big, big, big games internal, um, mainly because we have usually fans who are excited at the studio or at the at the te- on the team that are excited about writing about it or interested in writing about it. But also it means that for a game like Zelda, which is huge and really important for us to get right, I have more insight or I have more visibility on the production process and control over a production process. When you give it to a freelancer, chances are freelancers are going to be great. I have a lot of freelancers that I work with that are amazing, but also there's just a fundamental level of communication that's kind of just disjointed with someone who's external to the system. So I try and keep the major, major reviews either internal or someone that I know is a trust to be uh, kind of on point with every step of the workflow and will also communicate very, very well to us. So that's the kind of level of uh, kind of oversight that I have over it. In terms of assigning it, um, I, I generally speak to all my reviewers frequently and I keep asking them, hey, what do you want to review? Just I'm not going to guarantee you're going to get it. Just give it to me so I have an understanding of what you're interested in. And then based on that, I will like use a create kind of like a short list of here's everyone who's interested and then filter that down to who do I think is appropriate? Who do I think has got the necessary knowledge? Who do I think is perhaps like looking to move? Like, is it someone who hasn't done a major game that I think could handle this game really well and make make a call based on that? The reason I pick Steve is because Steve one is internal. Um, he's a fantastic writer. Um, he's very, very like timely and, and consistent with his um, time management. So I know that I'll get it on time. Um, and then he's also got a lot of experience with Zelda and these kind of open world games. 
Um, so I think that was the reason why I picked him. Um, I believe uh, Breath of the Wild was handled by Peter Brown, who was our previous um, managing editor and also was a reviews editor at one point. So in that case, it was like he was like, I'm the most appropriate person to do this. Um, so it depends on the individual game, the kind of resource uh, availability we have. Sometimes I want a reviewer to review a game and they're just not available because they're on something else or they they just they have life circumstances that are different and, and just can't um, approach it uh, and be assigned to it. So the kind of selection process is very, very in the moment. It's weird, but it's also like kind of using intuition and getting a feel for what the best decision is from the assigning editor. Um, I don't know if that's the same for other, you know, review uh, reviews editors or places that do reviews, um, but that's my approach. I try and find the right person for it. I also try and think about who do I think will be able to express the kind of... Uh, uh, their opinions and also do it in an interesting way. I very much dislike reviews that are like, here's what the graphics are, here's what the... I like there to be like a... I don't want to say an art form to it, but I like there to be a creativity or a kind of like um, a heart to these reviews. So I try and figure out who's who's going to be able to put a soul and a heart into the, the written word and also the video review once it comes out and, and select based on that. I appreciate you breaking down the process. I'm sure in a busy time like this, you might feel kind of like a like a sports coach, um, yeah. you know, but assigning your players to different places on the field with how much is going on. Uh, and I totally see what you mean about the voice, the tone of voice interview, specifically at GameSpot. I've always enjoyed and I feel like you allow more space for the creativity and the personalization of people's connections to a title, whether it's like, you know, your relationship with immersive Sims, when you review death loop or, you know, all the adventures you go on when you cover a game like tears of the kingdom. Yeah. And so in working with Steve on the, you know, let's just take tears of the kingdom as an example. Um, what does that, production pipeline and process look like what is steve working on meanwhile what are other team members working on yeah i mean it's it, again it's quite different for what the game is and who who it is and where they're at for like for steve steve obviously is he does a he does a lot of stuff on our site um ranging from news um to features and guides and all that kind of stuff um so any given day, Steve will be working on a bunch of things, or any reviewer. Like, I'll be the same, but I'll be working on a bunch of things. Um, for a game like um, Tears of the Kingdom, um, it becomes the top priority. So in that case, I would push, uh, uh, I would ask Steve to put everything else aside and focus entirely on playing this game and then reviewing this game. Um, given that it's such a huge game, that is the necessity because if you don't do that you probably aren't going to hit embargo generally you know we don't get a huge lead time on it we don't get as much as we often need for these games even when the time the lead time we're given is quite generous so nintendo is pretty generous with its lead times when it, when it knows that a game is big and it was certainly for um tears of the kingdom but at the same time even with that generosity it wasn't enough um to do it comfortably you know um, where you can not devote every second of your day um, to playing that game. So for this game, it was a case of like, this is your main thing now. Um, and Steve will go away and just start working and playing that game for many, 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 many hours. I, th I think he put like 60 or 70 hours into it like within a short space of time. 
Um, and so then while that's happening, I usually, I know it's very tricky, I usually beg but, uh, desperately every every game that we're reviewing, every publisher. I'm sure that like, if you speak to any PR person that, has, that works with me, I'm always begging them for as many codes as possible. And that's purely, and sometimes I wonder if it's like people think, oh, he just wants a bunch of codes so he can like, <laughs> play the game. And like each time it's like, no, I, I need these codes because one, um, it needs to go to a reviewer. Generally, I try and play the game as well. Um, I try and play every game we review where it's possible. So I have a frame of reference when I'm editing the review. Or if there's someone else that I think needs to be, um, who I think needs to, is more suited to that, I'll be like, hey, can you play this game at the same time? And uh, kind of like, you'll be able to sanity check everything. Generally, it is me, though. So when it's, you know, like Nintendo, I'll be like, hey, can I have this many codes because I need it? Um, the reviewer needs it. Um, and also, I try and get like someone on video playing as well for like support capture. And then someone on the guides team playing as well for, you know, if there's any features or guides that need to come out of there. And then I generally like to have one extra person as well playing who is just kind of floating and thinking about any sort of interesting features that could arise from this that's the ideal scenario where we're given like between five and seven codes or something like that which is very rare um especially for like major first party titles but for the reviewer it's simply a case of focus on just writing the review and i do my best to create basically a wall around that reviewer um in terms of access to them and and kind of like their availability Obviously, it's not like a hard wall. They, they have the ability to just do whatever they want, but I make sure that they're not being contacted to be assigned things. I make sure they're not being bugged by, like, for example, when a developer or a publisher or a PR needs to get into contact with a reviewer, I ensure that they, as best as possible, they don't know who that is and they have to go through me because I never want that kind of, like, breakdown that of that kind of separation to happen. Um, so that reviewer is usually... Uh, it's going to sound harsh, but I don't mean it that way, isolated in a lot of ways, so that they have the time, space, and breathing room to just do what they need to do. And then they can reach out to me and just be like, hey, this is where I'm at, this is what I need to do, or et cetera, et cetera. From, yeah. there, from there, generally, it's like they write the review, it comes to me, I do a couple of passes, and then it goes out to a few other people, generally the wider team, to get more sanity checks and better kind of QA on it. And then from there, we'll work on a video script for it and then that's where the kind of the video side of it comes in where it's like we'll create a script vo it and then it goes to an editor who edits it together and then it all comes together very last minute to be like all right everything's together now um and, and the embargo is here and then i just go through and just hope that i'm reading everything correctly and <laughs> and like the embargo is is correct on the side and i'm very paranoid about it so like sometimes if it's an early embargo like if it's like people sometimes do like 3 a.m. embargoes when that review is going live, I'm awake and I'm watching it, um, which is a nightmare for when it's review seasons and there's a bunch of games coming out. Um, I'm just like very, very paranoid and nervous about this stuff, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to upset anyone, and I don't want the impression to be like, "Hey, you screwed us on this." Like when something goes wrong, everything things are going to inevitably go wrong. But I feel like if I spend a lot of my time ensuring that um, it's going right and people know that I'm putting in the effort to to make sure it goes right. When it does go wrong, they'll give me the benefit of the doubt and know that um, this was an accident, a complete accident. And it has happened where, I, you know, something's gone wrong through no fault of our, of, for our, of our own. And very fortunately, the person that I'm working with is like, I get it. 
you know, I've seen you put in the effort and work and your team put in the effort and work to make sure everything goes right. So we're not pissed about this. So, yeah. On behalf of every PR person, like, thank you so much <laughs> for the attention to detail and the care you put into just the site and your guys' reviews. I, yeah, I I'm not sure an embargo break has ever happened, like with me working with you, but mm. just thinking of like, it has happened in my career with some yeah. people that it's the same way where I'm like, I know they didn't intentionally do this. Yeah. And I've worked with them a thousand times and this is the first time it's yeah. happened. It's like, it okay, benefit of the doubt. We're yeah. all human. We make mistakes. Yeah. It can be hard in that moment because you like, it's something that is so like, you've got so much investment, mental and emotional investment in this thing. So when it goes wrong, it's like your natural response is to be like, be angry at that it went wrong and at that person and obviously like they're also like pressures from various other places you know to be like you need to chase this down or find out what went wrong and that kind of stuff and i under completely understand it as well and i've definitely had moments where it's like people have been very upset and i've been like hey man all i can tell you is it was an accident often when it goes wrong for us and I'm, i hope i'm not jinxing it it's it's usually some sort of crazy technology thing that we just could not have predicted like mm -hmm. the if i had to tell you what the most frequent kind of reason for an embargo break is for us it's usually a server somewhere that we have no control of like did something with its clock system and that somehow made its way to our cms and told our cms that it was the wrong time when it wasn't you know it was a different time than it actually was and that's why it happens and mm. in that scenario i have to just be like hey man this was a, a server somewhere that i had no chance of even knowing that this was gonna it was completely unpredictable um, and most of the time people are like, okay, but sometimes they're like, that's not good enough. I'm like, well, I can't really do anything about that. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we know, we know how much like outlets like yours take care in, in making sure the embargo isn't broken and, you know, God forbid a, a Y2K scenario <laughs> yeah. doesn't prevent something like that from happening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I, I'm so glad that you brought up how many review codes you genuinely like what you would prefer is because seven or five to seven is much more than I would have thought. I think just from a my own perspective, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like probably like a reviewer, maybe someone to write guides or video. Uh, but to know that you also like you yourself try and play so that you have a point of reference, you have people for the sanity checks that actually really helps us when, because a lot of times it's, we have to go and request the number of codes. We have to explain like, why does this outlet have seven codes? Because a lot of times people, are, our clients might see that and be like, they're, we're not gonna have seven reviews. Why would we send them seven codes? So to be able to kind of explain that and yeah. fight for it, I mean, that's just going to lead to the best coverage. Um, Cause you have just, like you said, just people being able to check things, make sure it makes sense. And Yeah, yeah, it is, it is weird because there's also times where we'll request a lot of codes and for people on the outside they don't who are like invested in seeing what happens they don't see where the codes kind of manifest and sometimes it doesn't like sometimes i'll i'll be completely honest i'll request like five codes and we only do one piece of content out of it mm -hmm. and sometimes that's because oh we just weren't able to commit to the plan that we had sometimes it's like i'm being honest sometimes it's like it's not worth it. This game is not worth our time investment or it's like the, and it's harsher. Like sometimes it's the game where it's like, it's not worth us doing this. Sometimes it's the interest around the game, you know, where it's like this game is popular. It looks big or it's a triple A game, but just no one cares really. So 
and it sounds really harsh, but like when it comes down to it, I have to make a call based on resources because there's only a few. We're not a massive team. It may, you know, I know we're a major site, but there's there's not a lot of us. If you really like, if I was to tell you the exact number after I counted it up, I guarantee you it would be like quite surprising compared to a lot of our um, uh, competitors. We're we're a very small team, um, so I have to be realistic with that stuff um, and and figure out what the the appropriate time and resource investment is so i think that's the tricky one where we're like hey can we have seven codes and then one review comes out and that's it or and, and people are like we gave you seven codes what happened and it's mm-hmm. like sometimes we, we made the most of it you won't and, and also um sometimes we take those codes and the content won't be immediate it will be like many months down the line i also like sometimes request codes for um kind of knowledge expansion if you know what i mean where it's like, I, I feel like this, ge- this game isn't going to be like a huge thing we review and do loads of features on, but I want a few people at the site to play it because then they can talk about it on a podcast or when the time comes, you know, to do a feature that I know that they're working on in the future or they a show idea that they have, they'll have a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's a case of like when the end of the year discussion happens, I want there to be enough people that can speak to this so that, when when we inevitably reach the point of what about this game, there's people that can talk about it. And this is another separate tangent, but like there's also like towards the end of the year, I always go around and be like, hey, can I have 10 codes for this game that you released in January? And people are like, what? Why? <laughs> it's because I, I want to suddenly get a lot of people playing that game. So I try and do that throughout the year as much as possible. But I always, I think the thing to take away from that, it sounds like I'm being super greedy. Every single code that I'm given, I'm appreciative of. Like, and I always do my best to express that when, when, when I'm speaking to people, and when they're like, "Oh, how many codes do you need?" I'm always like, "If I can get six, I would be super appreciative of that. Yeah. If I can get ten, I'd be super appreciative of that. However, if I know that you're constantly in demand, if if this is as much as you can give me, I'll take that. It's fine. I'll do my best to make it work because I know that it's also a case of you guys like on your side have to speak to various people and even like the on the developer side, publisher side, there can be restrictions and issues that cause that. So, um, yeah, it kind of, it, it's weird, but sometimes the code requests have a very obvious, like, this is what they asked for and this is what they put out and it makes sense. Sometimes it makes no sense, where it's like, we gave you a code and you didn't do anything with it. And it's like, yeah, I didn't do anything with it because it's probably a reason and I can probably tell you, but you may not like some of those reasons. You know, <laughs> it's, it's tricky. I would say I would love the reasons, yeah. <laughs> even if it's like negative, that that's just like feedback. That's really good for us to yeah. either like not be like, Oh, um, to more game spot said this, like not to put anybody on blast more, just like, Oh, like we had like this feedback and for next time, like it's good to know for next time, like we need this or we would recommend adding this to the game or something like that. It's yeah. It different it differs by client and by game, but there are some circumstances where we do have more of a say and can help push our clients in a certain direction that will more benefit you. Yeah, it's it's a weird, tricky balancing act. So it's yeah, it's it's, it's wild. I think the best I can do is communicate it. Yeah, yeah, and we appreciate the communication for sure. When in those 
opportunities or reviews cases when you do get a code for both yourself and the reviewer. And you mentioned breaking out of the process at the beginning, uh, being in conversation with those reviewers and you playing enough to have like a basic understanding of what the game is. What do those editing conversations look like? How do you help the reviewer in cases when they need it? Although, like you said, you work with a lot of experienced reviewers, find that tone or that, Mm -hmm you know, creative angle that, you know, helps it stand out amongst the field of a bunch of other reviews. Yeah, I I kind of, it's weird because, again, there's not one answer to it. It depends on the reviewer. It depends on what what they need help with. I never, from the outset, I'll never go in there and be like, this is what you need to do from, from, you know, word one. Um, I will, initially, when I give them a code, I'm like, hey, if you need any help with anything at uh, you know, during the process at this point, just let me know. I've had reviewers come out to me and be like, everything from I'm having trouble playing the game to I can't beat this boss to I can't, I'm not able to express how I want to, what I want to say about this to um, I think we should give this game this score um, where, where I might think oh, I should be, it doesn't sound like that is the correct score. So I always just make myself available to address the question that the reviewer has at the time, depending on what it is, you know, and I've, I've tried to help with a lot of that stuff. Uh, the baseline kind of like almost the, 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 the foundational stuff is when the review comes in, that's where a lot of the stuff that I can kind of problem solve does happen. Um, and often that stuff is like, hey, are you, firstly, are the mechanics of this review, are the necessities of this review being addressed properly? Are you explaining what is going on, what the game is? Are you talking about, are you critiquing it? Are you, uh, one of my big pet peeves is, and it happens a lot of reviews, and it always has, is people just explain things. They just say what a thing is, and you read a lot of reviews, and that's all that it really is. It's like, oh, in this game, you play as this character, and then you jump on this thing, and then you punch this dude, and then you get this thing, and then it moves on. And you're like, okay, you explained what it was, but you didn't say anything meaningful about it. And honestly, it's something that I do. It's something that every reviewer does. Um, And my goal is always to, like, help people engage the analytical part of their brain as much as possible and the analytical skill set they have in their writing as much as possible. Um, Because as long as you hit that, the review is doing what it needs to do on a baseline level. Whether people... Whereas it's doing it for the other people outside of you know us, for me, it's doing what it needs to do, where it's looking at a, a game and analyzing it and then presenting a kind of opinion on it. Um, so I will go through most, I go through every review on our site. Um, there are very small um, kind of uh, exceptions for when I'm not reading a review. It's exceedingly rare and it has very, like, I can't count, I can't count on one hand the amount of times it has happened. And that is usually because I've had some sort of life thing that prevents me from doing it, or I'm just like, in a way, uh, like a busy, and at the same time, the time constraint on it is so strict that I simply do not have the time to do that. And in that very rare scenario where it happens, I always ensure that at le- I have a kind of crack team of senior people who will stand in for me. Um, and there's like multiple editors across the team that are senior enough that what if I if they all look at it, 
I feel like that's good enough for me. They can serve as a replacement for me. I'm not saying that I'm so powerful that I, you know, I'm so good at this that I need multiple people. It's purely for my own paranoia and it's for my own kind of like um, nervousness around it. Like I could, I'm sure I have one person who I work with, uh, Chris who, Pereira, who's one of the smartest people I ever, you know, have worked with, and he's incredible as a writer and and as an editor. If I was gone to my head, he's enough. Like he's enough. But um, my the way I work and the way my brain works and the way I want to just be sure about everything, because of the way the, the way that I am, I try and have multiple other people on the team that I think are um, senior enough or like have the experience enough to give it a once over um, and give it and put it through its editing process to to feel comfortable with. At a minimum, like three people, four people will look at will look at every review. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like uh, I forgot what the question was. What was the question? <laughs> um, the I'm a rambler. Finding the <laughs> voice. Oh yeah, helping people finding a voice. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the kind of like mechanical part of it. When it comes to like the the actual the writing itself, that's trickier because it, it involves the writer either finding or having their voice. A lot of writers these days I've worked with long enough that they don't need to develop a voice. They have that. And it's just a case of how do they apply that to this um, review specifically. You know, um, it's trickier when you're trying to help a reviewer find their voice. And I do have a process for that. Um, if it's an inexperienced reviewer or a reviewer that's new to us, I always start them on smaller games. Like I'm not going to have a brand new reviewer come in and be like, here is God of War. Good luck. <laughs> and that's not happening. I will find like smaller games, indie games, games that generally either I want to have a, have a review of or they're interested in doing. Um, for a lot of news, full-time staffers anyway, when they come on, I always say like, what games are you interested in right now? Um, and they give me a list and I'll find the games that they want to review because they have an interest in playing those games and reviewing those games that aren't massive. And I'll get them working on a bunch of those. Um, and those games are kind of like the training ground for helping them find their voice. And then once I feel like they've found their voice, that's when I kind of like start asking them to think about bigger games that they may want to go towards. And it's tricky because I ask them to think about it. Some of them don't want to do that for a really long time. They don't feel like they're in a position to do that yet or they don't feel comfortable about it yet because the world of reviews is very, very, very tricky like it can be very unsafe at times as well um for a lot of reviewers like you attach your name to a game a review of a game like the legend of zelda and you are putting yourself front and center for a lot of like blowback a lot of positive and negative feedback and these days negative feedback on the internet can go into like unbelievable extremes so some people don't feel right don't feel good about doing that just yet so that process is me working with them, finding them the game that they're interested in. I feel like if it's a game they're interested in, they're way more likely to play uh, to play it and also help find their voice quicker. I don't operate in a where it's like we're reviewing every single game, and that means regardless of whether you're interested or not, you're reviewing this game. That doesn't happen not in the GameSpot review system that I'm in charge of. Mm -hmm. If 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 no one gives a shit about a game, like I literally cannot find anyone um, unless that game is top tier. Um, I will just not review their game. It's very rare again, but like I'm not forcing people to play games. Like in the old days, you'd have people like, you know, major reviewers like, I have to review this game. It's absolute dog shit and it looks mm -hmm. like dog shit and we need to have it up. I'm not doing that. I'm not putting people through that. Um, so I help 
I try and help them find their voice through the smaller games. And then it's just a case of like, at a certain point, people find their voice, but I don't want to get, I don't want them to get comfortable in that voice, if you know what I mean. I don't want them saying the same things over and over again. The fr- even I have phrasing that I reuse over and over again. And I try and make sure that when I read someone's review, if it's the 60th review, I'm looking at it and being like, how can you say this differently in a way that is, uh, how can I make you be a m- little more creative with the way you express yourself? Because reviews can become quite a drag and become tiring very quickly if you're doing a lot of them. And if you're not, keeping people like on their toes to a degree or keeping their brain and their creative like writing abilities engaged they will autopilot through them and that's when they stop growing as a writer your reviews stop being interesting to read and it kind of your credibility goes down a bit you know what i mean um so from smallest reviews to biggest reviews i try my best to make sure that they're always engaged with everything that they're doing Um, and even if they have a voice how do they are they making sure that they're applying that voice in the most interesting way possible um so that when they're done they can be they have a review that they're proud of that's out there they're proud of it being out there they're proud of what they said and they're also proud of how it's written i want everyone to write a review i try and think about it this way i want every review that a person to write right uh, that a person writes to be something they're proud to put on their resume later because mm-hmm. if they want to go away and I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm trying to trap people here. I always, I think about that in every capacity that people are working with. I have full-time staff members that I'm like, if there's ever a time you want to go somewhere else and do something else, like I want to make sure that I've at least set you up to to have the skills to do that. So I always ask people like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this forever? Do you want to do something else after? Like, what are your dreams, hopes, and goals? Do you want to, is this where you want to work? Is this where you want to free? I have freelancers that I'll be like, what is your goal? Do you want to freelance forever? Or do you want to work at IGN? Or do you want to work at GameSpot? Do you want to work at GamesRadar? And if they're like, I want to work at GameSpot, or if they're like, I want to work at IGN, I'm like, okay, I keep that in mind. I'm like, let's try and make sure that this person is writing and engaging reviews in a way that one day they can go to IGN or they can go to GamesRadar or PC Gamer and be like, hey, this is, these are my, this is my list of reviews. And the people who are on the other side making those decisions will have a just a amazing list of reviews to work with. Um, so that's kind of like my goal in helping people through it. I never tell people what to say. <laughs> I never tell people what to write. I never, I, I do disagree sometimes with people. Like I, I did that recently where it was like, Hey man, I know you said this about the game. Are you sure? Or are you kind of, is it because you've said this, this, and this, and now you're trying to balance it with this? Mm-hmm. And most of the times uh, I've had people go like, no, this is what I believe. And in, if that's the case, I'm like, okay, let's, you need to do more to justify it. Mm-hmm. Here's why I don't, I'm not buying what you're selling right now. So here's what you need to do to make sure that I, 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 I'm buying it. And in, if I'm buying it, then I feel good about it. And then the audience and people review will buy it. There's also been times where people are like, yeah, you're right. I'm, you know, I'm kind of trying to be nice. I'm being too nice here or I'm being too critical here. Um, and we've had moments like that. Other Outside of that, I will never tell a reviewer what to say. I will never be like, hey, this is the wrong opinion because that just doesn't happen. As long as you justify it and it feels justified when they read it, when people read it or watch it and listen to it, then I'm okay, okay with it. I'll never get more involved in that. Do you ever... Um... When you're assigning reviews, I know you said you you want to assign it to people who are interested in that game, who have like expressed interest in reviewing it. Do you ever have it where like you assign someone to review a game that maybe they've 
not like super interested or like this is their first introduction to maybe it's a series like maybe they're reviewing final fantasy but haven't Mm. played final fantasy before and they're like oh sure like i'll review it i'll try it out maybe it's like they haven't played that type of game before it's just a it's a different kind of perspective and i think we talked about this in another episode but it's just something that interests me as someone who's like Mm. sometimes i if i'm not familiar with the series i like reading a review for someone who from someone who's also new to maybe yeah. that genre or that series. Yeah, I guess like the yes and no. I mean, the baseline again is I'll never force a review on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, if there's any sort of inkling that I just don't want to do this, I'll never be like, hey, it could be a cool new perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to sell people on an idea. Um, if they're like, if I present them a review, I've had this happen where it's like, Hey man, I've got this game for review. Are you, do you have any interest in it? And they'll reply and be like, "I don't really know this franchise. I don't really play a lot of these, but I am intrigued by it." Um, and as long as most of the time they're upfront with it, and then I make the judgment call based on that. Where it's like, okay, this person doesn't have the experience; they have an interest. Is this a review where if I gave it to someone who who is in their position, would it serve a purpose? Would it have a you know a, an interesting? kind of angle to it if it's like a super story heavy game that relies on previous knowledge and in the i'm gonna be like no that's not that's not the right thing here like i if if it's immediately obvious that fans are gonna read this and be like what this is clearly or like i'm never gonna review a madden just because (laughs) i have a different perspective on american football like i've played a bunch of american football games i don't have the investment in it and thus i'm not going to be like i think it'll be really cool if i present a new perspective on madden nfl <laughs> no one wants that no one cares about that they want to know if this game if the, if the if the man catches the ball good again um, <laughs> and in that scenario i'm not doing it but i definitely have like for example one of our reviewers jordan is an incredible reviewer he's been with us for ages he has a general interest in indie games so that is amazing for me because I can approach him with any number of games and be like, what do you think about this? And he'll be like, oh, I know that game. I've seen trailers for it. I'm really intrigued by it. I'll take that. Mm-hmm. And I'll also present him with games that are like, this is a AAA game. Do you want to review this? And he's like, no, I'm not ready for that. And it's fine. I'm cool with that. I also have like a very good list of like um, almost Venn diagrams where it's like, I-, I know this person plays these games and reviews these games. I think that their interests may overlap with this either because they 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 haven't mentioned it but I know it but or, or like I think that this person might be good for this game that they don't they don't know that they might be good for yeah you know like um and and in that case I'll be like hey I think you might enjoy this because xyz here's why I think I would like a review from you do you agree and if they're like yeah I think that's a good way to tackle it and they're usually like quite transparent with me like they're like you know I I don't know these games so I think this is a good idea. I'd love to try it, but obviously here, here are the concerns that I have. And if I believe that on balance it's worth doing, I'll let them do it. Um, I, yeah, I always just make sure that it's a good balance of like opportunity, experience, and interest um, uh, between those three. I feel like if, you, if you've got a good balance of them, when you give someone uh, a game that they're not familiar with, you still get a pretty decent um, uh, final product out of it or a final review. I hate calling it a product. 
So, Tam, you've broken down excellently all the ways to be a, a good managing editor when it comes to reviews, whether that's, you know, I, I didn't even think about it, but you're right with how toxic the Internet is when it comes to reviews, yeah. like protecting reviewers when necessary or making sure that they really can stand behind certain claims they make or, or helping them find, you know, the analysis versus the explanation. Uh, when how do you decide when it's your time to do a review? Like in the last year, you've reviewed PSVR 2, Redfall a little over a year ago, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok. Um, what, when does it come time for a TAM review and what's your process <laughs> of writing it yourself? Um, it's interesting because there was a time when I would review pretty much, I would want to review pretty much everything, um, especially when I started at GameSpot. I mean, before that, when I was younger, I started off like reviewing games and just sending them into, into magazines for printing. Um, just because I was a weirdo that liked reviewing games. And occasionally, like, I'd get people messaging me back, being like, hey, this is good. We'd love to print this. Here's some money. Or here's, here's a... I'm not going to say who it was, but I was too young <laughs> to be paid. But they'll be like, here's some free games. We'll take that <laughs> for your review. And I'll be like, great, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll take those free games and, and, you know, I'll carry on reviewing them as well. Um, these days it's tricky because I have to balance all my other um, kind of responsibilities, which a lot, a lot of it, it can be things that aren't front facing. It's, I, I spend as much, I've probably spent more time uh, kind of flight controlling reviews than I do writing reviews at this point, but I still have the itch to review pretty much everything. When a, a code comes in, I'm like, damn, I want to review that so bad. <laughs> then I have to like have a honest moment with myself where I look at it and go, I know I want to review this. Do I have the time to re review this? Do I think I have the time plus can put in mm. the commitment to make sure that it's done well? And is this something that's right for me? And, you know, a game like God of War, um, that could have gone to any number of other people, but I really wanted to review that myself. And it's a game, that franchise that I adore. It's a game franchise that I feel like was his, his continues to be really interesting. Um, so that was me going like, I want to do that. I think I can give that the right time. Um, and and I, that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to do this myself. Also, like, if it's a huge game, I try and, like I said, I want it to be internal. Mm -hmm. I also, if it's like, oh, no one else is available to do this, I'll take that. I will do it myself. Like, you know, unless it's, again, imagine. Um, <laughs> but like, if no one else wanted to God of War, I would have taken it because I, I want it to be an authoritative voice from a name that people understand because it's a major game or no is a major game or they can look it back and be like oh this is the the kind of track record of this person we know that they play this game they have an expertise in this game so we can't really like talk shit about their opinion mm -hmm. um, then there are games that come in and they are a hundred percent my games to review like they they make perfect sense ironically I, as i say that we just had one of those games and i just it broke my heart that I couldn't do it. Street Fighter Six, like that was reviewed to us by a freelancer, Jason, who we've worked with for a really long time, and he's very knowledgeable about fighting games. But Street Fighter, in any, if you look back at uh, GameSpot's fighting game reviews, chances are I did them. Like I've done the majority of them for a really long time, just because I love that genre. So when Street Fighter Six came in, I was in a position where, sadly, I have I had way too much going on with my life and. Let me tell you, visas are not a fun thing mm -hmm. to deal with constantly, but I had to like pass that one off um, to someone else, and and it was Jason who I trusted to do it, um, and he did a great job. And then there are games that are like in a similar vein where it comes in and it's like you are 100% doing that, and that is you know 
Sekiro came in. I am the From Software guy, um, and I reviewed Sekiro. Uh, Elden Ring came in, and like I was the there's no questions about asked who was going to review that. Like no one even requested it. They were like, okay, clearly Tam's going to review this, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and those are those are simply because I have an interest, I have an expertise in in those in those games, and I just really enjoy writing about those games. Um, and I feel like they engage my brain more than any other subject matter in in the games world. There are few like if Arcane, for example, like their games are they make me think about games in a different way, and they make me think about writing in a different way. And I know I didn't do Redfall, but like that was one of the ones where I gave it to Mark because Mark has a specific interest that involves one zombie vampire stuff, and also it's the game takes place in a part of the world that he's very familiar with. So it's like he's basically a game in his backyard. So he has a specific interest in that. I don't want to be like, well, I want to do this. I'm from London. I don't really care. <laughs> um, so like, I, I that was the kind of X factor for him. Where I was like, I think it's more interesting if someone who has got an interest in this kind of like subject matter, you know, the vampire stuff and and these games as a service style games, who also has this kind of unique perspective where the setting is very familiar to him. Um, could elevate this review and it did he talked about you know the setting of the review a little bit of the game a little bit and it was a better for that but you know the capcom's games from software's games arcane's games they are kind of like almost shoe-ins for me never a hundred percent but like they're things that i lean towards i will review literally anything i've reviewed i've reviewed i have reviewed sports games in the past and thankfully they are no longer on the internet which is for me. <laughs> um but that was my kind of experimental phase where i was like i wonder if i can do these sports games mm-hmm. and i could but it was very it felt like pulling teeth and i did not like the the process of it and it, it felt like going against my nature if you know what i mean um but yeah, that's when I will pick a game. Well, it's just, it's just I'm, I'm interested in the game, you know. Like, um, uh, these days I, I have to be a little less liberal with things I'm interested in. There was a time when I'd be like, oh, I'm interested. In this. I'm going to review this. These days I have to be like, oh, I'm interested in this, but I have got X, Y, Z things to also to do. So my simple interest is not enough to warrant me, you know, spending a lot of time on that review. Mm-hmm. Then you get to just like enjoy that game and play it in your yeah probably limited free time because you're. Yeah. so busy with everything else but yeah it's funny because i do play like most games um and and it is a it is rough out there to do. it sounds like first world problems and i understand it definitely it feels like first world problems saying it but there is a point where the thing that you think is fun is no longer fun because this it won't stop mm-hmm. and i i'll never say that working in this industry is not fun i'll never say that reviewing games is not fun i will say i've had mom- my moments where i've been in the process of reviewing a game or playing a game for a review where I have thought, I wish I wasn't doing this or I wish I was doing this at my own pace. And I, I can sympathize with the reviewers out there who there are people like who just chain reviews together back to back. Um, and like, um, for example, like the, the work that happens at IGN, like Dan Stapleton and, and a few of the IGN reviewers over there that I know that are like constantly reviewing games back to back. I, I sympathize with them because I know that they're known for doing reviews and um, everyone just assumes that, oh, this this is a fantastic uh, job that they've got and they're probably having a wonderful time. And I'm just like, I know, I know what it feels like, man. And I, and I know you had like, I just saw like Mitchell Salzman put up a, a review for Street Fighter. I know he reviews a lot of games and I'm like, I'm glad you got to do that. And I'm, I'm sure you had fun, but I also know how tricky that must have been for you. And as YouTubers are the same, like, I speak to Skillup, for example, on YouTube a decent amount, and 
he reviews an ungodly amount of games. Like, yeah. he's similar to us. Like, he's a one-man machine. And I'm just like, he's back-to-back playing games, and he's also doing, like, a podcast. He has the FBS podcast, which Lucy on, on our team is part of. And mm-hmm. he's outputting so much. And I'm like, if you sat him down and told him, asked him to be honest about the review game, he would be like, I love it, but also it's shaved years off my life. Um, and yeah, so it's it's weird. I, I love this thing, but also it is it is hard to review a game. It is very hard to review a game. And the bigger the the game is, the harder it is. And these days, you know, it's people are becoming a little more precious with reviews as well, just because of leaks and stuff like that. And it makes I hate it because it's often not major sites like us that are leaking things, but we all often get the uh, blowback of it, where mm-hmm. it's like random youtuber over there did a leak and now no one can and now everyone's getting slapped uh, around the face with the mm-hmm. restrictions so it's kind of weird yeah it's uh, that's just an unfortunate side effect of leaks and sometimes the difference between working with reporters and influencers it's people just do work differently and that's the review cycle is changing, which I I know you guys posted oh, a couple months ago about your reviews. Mm. Just you guys have a a few different types of reviews. You have the review in pro- progress. Um, you have updated reviews, and then you have the number scale. Um, but I I did notice that your Tears of the Kingdom review, for example, was just it was a full review, unless maybe it was a review in progress a couple weeks ago, and I just. I've just seen it updated, yeah. but how do you decide between like, when are you going to put out a full review for these massive games? When is it a review in progress? Um, and then when do you like, when do you update reviews yeah. and stuff like that? Okay. Again, not a simple, I feel like every time you ask me a question, I'm like, well, it kind of depends on it's not a simple thing. It's, it is a, a variety of factors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like um, a review in progress can be a review in progress because um, some of it is a, a portion of either the game or our take on the game isn't complete and we need to delay it because of that. That can be like, oh, um, I haven't in, had enough time or the online isn't working right now. Mm-hmm. And so, but the rest of it is done and it's a major game. So we want to have a review up there as soon as possible. So people have an understanding of whether this is good or not and they should pay money for it. Um and so that will be like, for example, you know, a Call of Duty, for example, um, or any first-person shooter. Chances are it's got a multiplayer campaign and a single-player campaign. I'm not saying this happens. I'm just using it as an example. Mm-hmm. The, let's say the multiplayer work, isn't working because servers are offline. Call of Duty doesn't do that these days anymore. I think they always have, like, private servers. Um, but let's say the multiplayer is not there. Well, the single-player is there. Call of Duty is big enough, and people enough people play just for the single-player that... I, I would ask our reviewer to aim to have a review in progress where they do the do their single player, do put a review up, and then they go away and play the re- a review in progress, and they come back and update it with um, the rest of it. Um, to, to then we finalize the score and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the key kind of reasons. That's the main one, I guess. We also have it where it's like, um, <clears throat> oh, the deadline is is this is one that I less use less where it's like it's a review in progress because we needed to hit an embargo because it's a Let's be honest, like some games, you need to publish a review so you can hit traffic. You can get the traffic while it matters. We are a website at the end of the day, and sometimes, like it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes there are games where it's like, we need to have a review day one when the embargo is. Zelda's one of them. Like, 
regardless of how it would have shook out, we would have had something up for Tears of the Kingdom on the day the embargo lifted. Um, and that could have been some, you know, Steve being like, I haven't played, I'm not ready to put my entire you know, final stamp on this, even though it has no online component. And you, you might be like, I just didn't have enough time. I would have said, like, put something together. Keep it a review in progress. We'll put it up. We need to have a review up there. Um, one, so that people have a general idea of what you're thinking. And also, two, so we can make sure that we're not forgotten in the traffic rush and all that kind of stuff. That's very, very, very rare. Um, yeah, I can't think of many times that has happened. The other time is a review in progress, and this is something that I'm super, super on top of, is when I just don't want to put my reviewer under that pressure. Um, you'll probably see it a lot these days, but for a lot of reviews, GameSpot is not always there at embargo. Um, unless it's a major review. We have a lot of indie games that will publish a review for, or smaller AA games that will publish a review for like days after they're, they're released. Or sometimes that's because, you know, we came to it late, but sometimes it's because I just don't want to ask. We got the game late and then the embargo lifts in three days and I'm not going to ask my reviewers to um, put themselves through a crunch period to, to get a review up. If you speak to anyone that I work with for reviews, the first, whenever I give them a key uh, and I give them a ideal draft date, I always say, here's one what I want it, when I want it, but you tell if you can get there without crunching, great. If you can't, if you feel like you need to start crunching, tell me before you start. We will move the release date and we'll move the publish date and you will not be crunching. I never allow any of my reviewers to jeopardize their mental or physical well-being for a review. Reviews do not matter to me that much. The people that I would rather have the review come out and it's good than someone who like desperately needed to hit a deadline. And there are major games where I have done that before as well, where it's like the reviewer had something happen in their life where they were like, hey, this XYZ thing that happened that I was just not prepared for, I'm going to work through the night to get this to you. I'm like, please do not work. Do not work through the night. Um, I will not take, if you give me this tomorrow, like in the morning, I am probably not going to use you again. Like, do not do this. I'll like take extreme measures to make sure that people aren't jeopardizing their mental health because I've been in a position where you have to have, and I still occasionally am, where you have to be, play this game nonstop and then engage your brain on a analytical and creative level immediately after playing a game for 120 hours and try and put out a review that's coherent, interesting, read, fun, like you feel good about, and then do it in time to ensure there's a video script and the video team has a uh, runway to make their portion of it and the social team. And it's, it's a thing that is basically impossible that a lot of times in the past and maybe even now people are forced to still try and do and force through to the end. And it's it's like a soul destroying and like a genuinely a rough time. I've done it to myself. And after I'm done, I genuinely need to, I, ha I basically collapse. Like, it's like, I have to take time away. I feel broken. I feel, and I talked about it. I tweeted about this. I did it for Elden Ring where we had that game very shortly before the embargo lifted. And every time I found a new thing, it came with a wave of, this is incredible, this is amazing. And then a voice would go, that's another 30 hours in my brain. <laughs> or like, that's another 10 hours. And when I was done with the game, you can speak to anyone I work with. Like, 
I was like a husk of a human being by that point where I was just like, oh God, I, I just need to collapse now. And I was like barely functional for like a variety of things. And I couldn't take the time off. Like, it's not like I could be like, oh, I'm taking a week off now or three days. I'm going to recover from this whole review cycle. No, I still had various other things to do. And I'm very much a do as I say, not as I do. I'll put myself through it so others don't have to do it. Um, but I'll never ask a reviewer to um, jeopardize their mental health or their physical health for a review. I don't care what game it is. I don't care how important it is. I don't care who is telling me it needs to be done. I will never make that happen. Um, but yeah, that's that's a hard uh, line for me. Tam, I'm curious on that note, I was going to ask about the Elden Ring review process. Looking back at that, like, did you get any takeaways or learnings that you now share with other reviewers that, you know, I, I took this away from reviewing a massive game and I don't want you to make the same, I don't know about mistake, but, you know, yeah. repeat the same steps I did. I guess it is that, that exactly what I discussed, which is like, I don't want you to hit a deadline on a game this big when the fault is not our own. Like, if I'm being given a game three or four, maybe even a week before the embargo lifts and it's a 70-plus hour game, that's not my fault. That's that's not our fault. That's on the publisher and developer. And I don't think that we should be punished for that. And I just will not allow that to happen. Like these days, I don't care if you're a major publisher. If you're giving me a game before in an unreasonable amount of time and then you email me later and you're like, hey, where's the review for this? I'm sending an all caps email back. Like I, you best believe I'm, I'm going to be upset at you for doing that. Um, that's my main thing. My takeaway was like no review is worth the kind of damage that you can do to get you know get it out if it's a major major undertaking. Like I, the Elden Ring review was kind of like a a major breaking point for me. Whereas like I can't I can't ask people to do this because I can't do it myself. Mm-hmm. That, that I can't. It's not an easy thing for me to do. So I cannot ask people out there who have lives to lead and other things to do um, to do the same. And I always just tell people now, like, hey, if you need to take extra time, just let me know and we'll figure something out. That doesn't matter if it's a one-hour game or if it's a 150-hour game. I always tell every reviewer, if something happens that you need extra time, please just tell me. And I encourage my my main kind of takeaway was tell people to be honest with you um, and create a safe space for them to feel like they can be. Because often you have people be like, hey, you know, you're assigning edit. I'd be like, hey, take as much time as you need. But you have this feeling where you know that if you do take as much time as you need, there's going to be some repercussions or you might get a bit of a snark or you might get like a, a passive aggressive word or two here, an email or a Discord message. And that might feel like, you know, the person who's delivering it might be like, yeah, it's just a bit of fun. But like it has a knock on effect. It has a mental drain on people and they don't feel safe about that so i never joke about that stuff i'm always just like if there's something happening and you can't make this review just tell me i promise you no matter what it is unless you're being absolutely ridiculous to me um like i will i will like treat it honestly and i will give you the breathing room i've had times where people are like hey i'm not making this review because um i had xyz come up and it's like i saw you at a party yesterday man (laughs) (laughs) it's like uh, that doesn't really like i'm not going to be like you're fired or anything like that or like a, a freelancer i'm not gonna be like hey you know being shit i'll just once it's done i'll be like hey man uh i know you gave us in late it's fine you know um i did notice this isn't this i'm gonna be bearing that in mind in the future 
mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not trying to be shitty type of person. I'm just being like, hey, if you if you were honest with me, we could have been taking a different path. If you were professional, we could take a different path. But you but you're not being professional here. But again, exceedingly rare. Most of the people I work with are either perfect in terms of their time management they're always on time or they're very communicative and they understand that i'm not trying i'm not trying to grind them into dust because i want them to be a long-term reviewer for me and i want their voice on our site to be ongoing as opposed to like this one and done i've like burnt this reviewer out now i have to find someone new yeah uh tam my last review question for you is uh in this can be a, a piece of writing of your own from your career or one you've helped edit uh what reviews stand out um, on GameSpot like that you're particularly proud of? Again, whether from you or from another writer. Oh man, that's a really, really tricky one. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to bring up the old GameSpot <laughs> review list. I mean, there's, there's, I, I, it's weird. This is gonna sound like um, a kind of guessing my own site up, but like I, I, there's a reason I work at GameSpot, and it's because this was my dream job. This is my dream job. I grew up as a kid reading GameSpot. When I got access to the internet at my own house, the first place I went to was GameSpot.com. And the reason I went, and the reason this has been such a big thing for me is because I love the, I have loved the output that GameSpot has done from the review perspective for many, many years. You know, I grew up reading the works of Greg Kasavin, who's obviously at Supergiant now and writes games and is like, I have a statue of him on my desk. <laughs> like his, his, there was a time when he was like, you know, editor in chief. And when we handed out game of the year awards, it was a picture of him holding up the box art for the game. And I have one of those. And it's a constant reminder of like, that's the legacy I'm trying to live up to because he was like a defining um, kind of voice in my learning process for reviews. Same goes for like Jeff Gersman, Alex Navarro, uh, Ryan Davis, many of the people that came through, um, GameSpot and Giant Bomb, like Jeff Keighley wrote for GameSpot at some point, and I read his stuff and I watched his stuff, and he was and when he went to like game trailers and stuff like that and stuff that I see him now and he's like huge, and I get to speak to him every now and then, and it blows my mind because and I've never like told him, um, but like he's a huge influence on me, and um, there's so many people that have come through that have been that way. And, and GameSpot's reviews, I genuinely believe, are some of the best in the industry. I know every, people who might be listening to this, if they're randos on the internet, are going to do the snarky, <laughs> yeah, whatever, <laughs> GameSpot sucks. You guys don't know what you're talking about. But I think that for the most part, we've got them right. Like, there's people that I've worked with in the past that aren't known for, like, as big names as they might be, like, as a Gersman. Like, one of my favorite reviewers of all time is Callie Plaguey. Like, she's, and I, I'm biased because she's one of my closest friends, but... I remember she was our reviews editor for a while. And when she wrote a review, it was like incredible. It was like I, I would read it and it was like impeccable. And even when I was part of the editing process for her reviews, I would be editing something and I would be learning at the same time. Um, she's currently working at Polygon. She's a, a copy editor for Polygon now. But I miss having her reviews. And I wish there was some scenario where I could like have her doing reviews for us. Because <laughs> she doesn't do very many of them at Polygon. And I thought, I felt like, damn. It sucks. Peter Brown. Um, I mentioned him before. He now works at PlayStation. One of the greatest reviewers I have ever worked with in my time. Like I adore his reviews. There's people in Simon Parkin, Christian Donlan. Um, there's so many different reviews out there that I, I, I read a lot of reviews after I've written and, and published our own ones. I don't want to be influenced by them. 
so it's hard to say which are my you know standout ones um from myself i i try my i can't pick one favorite i try my best to put my heart and soul into every single review i think if you read any of my reviews whether you agree with the score whether you like the writing or not you can hopefully see that i tried my best mm -hmm. to do something that's not just a cookie car review it's i always try and tell a story in my reviews i always try and find some emotional heart to my reviews and you know Sekiro for example is one of my favorite reviews because it is an anecdote about how that game completely like destroyed me and it ends with me like it's me telling the audience like I was terrible at this game for so long and when I became good at it it made me cry I was so like like it broke me down and rebuilt me in a way that games never do and that's why it means so much to me um, and that was like an important one to me. Similarly, recently, Deathloop. I gave Deathloop a 10 out of 10, and I still get shit for that. I have people, like, every time I there's any piece of content about me, like, if I'm on it, people are always in there being like, this is the guy that gave Deathloop 10, and I'm so proud of that review because it is a deeply personal review to me. Mm -hmm. I don't care what literally anyone else thinks about Deathloop. For me, when I played that game, I began to understand, and I talk about it in the review and also in the write-up for Game of the Year, I understood how Arcane makes a game based on playing that game. And it felt like me piecing together a puzzle. And by the time I was done playing with it, I had a much better understanding of how a studio that I adore and designers and storytellers and art people and developers that I adore make their games. And for me, that is like, a deeply personal moment that transcends any other person's opinion on how the shooting feels or whether the story is good or whether the graphics are good. That does not matter to me because I had this revelatory moment from this game. And that's why I gave it a 10. And that's why I fought tooth and nail to give it game of the year. And we did give it game of the year because we had multiple other people. So I'm proud of that review, even though a lot of people disagree with it. I'm also like, I see games, you know, you know Steve, uh, Steve wrote, his Legend of Zelda review, I think that's an incredible review. Like when, when someone expresses their love of a game like passionately, it's I love it. I love reading that stuff. We have Mark. Mark loves zombie games. He's given games on our website everything from like a seven to a nine. And like I when I read his reviews about the subject matter that he knows. It's really, really like, it's like an insight into him. I learn a little more about him and I see the passion there. Um, one of my other favorite reviews I'm going to mention is like Lucy wrote, Lucy James, who's a senior, she's done one review, maybe in her lifetime, definitely on GameSpot. She's done one review and it's Persona 5. Mm. Um, I was alongside her while she was playing. We got that game super early. We're in the UK. She'd never done a review before. It was, I went, like, Peter signed that review. I was surprised. I was like, oh, shit, Lucy's doing this review. I thought I was doing this review, but if Lucy's doing it, okay, cool. And seeing her, like, figure out how to write a review was wild and fascinating and kind of, like, seeing her struggle through things that I've been through the entire time and then seeing her make the breakthrough and put down onto page the words that she wanted to say about this game that she fell in love with and then seeing her go through the process of editing like I helped her edit that and seeing her like the go through the process of 
bringing clarity to things that she wanted to say but wasn't able to fully do there and then finally publishing it and reading it back and and her going like oh i wrote a review like i was super super proud and i really every now and then i go back and read that review <laughs> because it's like it reminds me of a it it kind of reinforces the idea that anyone can do a review for me because lucy's like she's a great writer she's a great she's the probably the best presenter we have in this industry right like she's a well-known face but she'd never written a review this was her first review and seeing her go through that and at the end have this review that she could be proud of and say this thing and and then also um kind of like stand behind uh, and it's a representation of her love for persona 5 it reminds me of that anyone if they come at it in an earnest way and have a passion and an interest in it and they are uh, you know earnest and and willing to engage in the processes and really like do do kind of like some self-reflection as well and under and not come at it with an ego anyone can be a reviewer and she's my reminder that review is my reminder whenever i'm looking at like i have moments where i'm like oh i've never had this reviewer before um i'm worried about it or i'm going to dismiss them because they don't have a large body of work i always at that moment i will go back and read that review and remember that she'd not written a review for us before and that was the final product and it was fantastic and I, that's when i like reassess and think about whether who that person is right for that review or not so that's one of my favorite reviews and then there are like YouTubers that I, I, I go to as well. But on, on our site, like every review is a review that I'm proud of. Even the ones that I disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, 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 my takeaway from this is like the people who write reviews on GameSpot are people who are emotionally and in many other ways invested in writing the review for this game. No one does it because it's just a job. It's because they are interested in critiquing analyzing and understanding more about themselves that's what a lot of reviews that i think uh, distinguish themselves have in common each review and each game playing experience is also a kind of holding a mirror up to yourself to see like what does this say about me what is it changing in me what is it um what is does it allow me to show the world of myself and one of the reviewers that does that the best is another reviewer who, who has done stuff for us, Michael Hyam. Um, he was at Fanboy for a while, recently rejoined us. Read his review for any JRPG. It is, if you speak to Michael Hyam about Persona long enough, he will cry in the conversation. <laughs> if you speak to him about Final Fantasy long enough, he will cry. Like, this is not a joke. It's not like me exaggerating. He will cry. Like, it, it, And it's because he thinks about the sights and sounds and the moments. And by the time he's thinking about it, he's like, you can see the tears welling up in his eyes. And like, that's the kind of reviewer I want. And we have so many of them. And it goes the opposite way as well. Like, I've also had people who are deeply like angered at a review. And that kind of passion, as long as it's reasonable and can be channeled is as, as like important as the people who can you know, be moved to tears by a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that GameSpot has so many of them. Um, it's something I'm really proud of, um, kind of assembling this crew of people that I respect and, and trust to do these reviews. And a lot of people out there who read reviews, they probably don't think about the mechanics of writing reviews and how much thought and time goes into everything from picking a person to that person writing, playing and writing reviews. But like, it's something that GameSpot we put a lot of time and effort, and I definitely put a lot of time and effort and 
stress and and kind of like I I felt like since taking over when Kelly left like I took de facto took over kind of like the reviews process I was always part of it because I was you know I, I ran the UK studio the UK team for a long time so I was basically overseeing a lot of the reviews there and I worked super close with Peter and Kelly but when I took over full time it was like I, I felt the responsibility of it and it has definitely like I said shaved years off my life but <laughs> I love doing it because it helps me one inform the people out there it helps me contribute to a conversation it helps us contribute to a conversation it's also an avenue for immense growth for writers and that's career growth and personal growth and I honestly think of it as a privilege that I'm able to facilitate that and for a lot of people whether they're old hats or up-and-coming people so for reviews like at GameSpot are very serious deeply passionate deeply personal thing to all of us and I think if you read any review on our site I'm looking through it now there's it will be one of the best reviews read um you might not agree with the sentiment but in terms of writing and expression it's there's some of the best out there and I'm proud of everyone that ever writes a review for our website because I know what goes into it and I know what they worked at to get to a position where they have a review on the front of our page or on on our website mm-hmm. yeah. yeah oh go on Caitlin I you just you made so many really good points and I want to say like what I really love reading about reviews is just seeing that passion that people have for projects. Like that's, that's ultimately what convinces me to try things is if someone is super passionate about a thing and they're telling me about it, I'm like, I want to experience this almost like through their lens. Um, And it's how like, I don't write like game reviews or anything, but like Sam and I talk about movies a lot when I'm like writing my thoughts about a movie. It's just like, and was I passionate about this thing and what was I passionate about? Um, and I think it's just a very, it's a good reminder and something that I recommend to people is to find individual writers that kind of speak to you and not, yeah. not judge a whole outlet on their reviews. It's each person mm-hmm. has, they're their own person and they have their own thoughts and ideas. And I won't name who my favorite like writers are. Cause I don't yeah. I, don't want to show any bias as a PR person, but like, Mm. yes, there are reporters where I, I will follow them in their career and read their writings because it's, I just genuinely love it. And a lot of that stems from their passion for things. Yeah. I'm, I'm the exact same. There's people out there that I I read their reviews regardless of whether I agree with their opinion Mm -hmm. or not. It's just because the way they express it will help me understand their perspective or it will teach me something about how I want to express my own kind of uh, opinions on reviews um and i think it's really important to do that and and read as many reviews not read as many reviews but like get a variety of perspectives you know it's it's weird because like the broader the the people who aren't acting in good faith uh, on the internet there's a lot of them like review people who are reading reviews they want a subjective review until you give them a subjective review at which point they want an objective review Uh like you can't please them like i've had people in my reviews for like from software games being like, why is this guy reviewing this game? Why can't we get someone who doesn't know these games to review them? And I'm like, what, what, how does that make sense? And then if I put someone who doesn't know their game on a review super well, but does a really good review of it, they're like, why couldn't we have someone that knows these games inside out? I'm like, at that point I was like, I constantly remind myself there's no winning. 
So you just have to do the right thing for the review. And a lot of reviews now out there are, I think, understand that. So it's, it's a really good time now to look at a bunch of, there was times when back in the day, I would like read a lot of reviews and some of them were like, this, this sucks, man. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, clearly like you're just, you're doing a product review. You're not doing analysis. You're not doing a kind of creative thought process or anything like that. These days I feel like the industry is full of so many great reviewers and it's such a shame to be just like not thinking about them and, and reading more of their work and trying to understand these perspectives. It's, it feels like personal growth opportunities when you, when you read other people's books, I love like reading Gene Park stuff because mm-hmm. sometimes I disagree with him, like um, on some of the stuff that he does. But I'm still like, oh, the way he expresses this is really interesting. Or like it makes it makes me think about how someone I disagree with might be seeing something in a way that I don't, and it gives me pause the next time I'm about to say, actually, that's wrong. Here's what I think about it. Um, these days I'm trying to be more and more like that, where I, I used to be quite m- more of a firebrand, where I'd be like, this game sucks. Um, these days I'm like, here's why I think this game is not good. Uh, just because I've read takes from people who have been like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. I still don't agree with it, but I guess I understand in the same way that I gave Deathloop a 10. I can understand why people wouldn't, but you couldn't waterboard me to change the, this review score of, mm-hmm. of like Deathloop at this point. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a, a good opportunity and you should go around and think about perspectives and read the reviews from other people's perspectives and see how it might be something that can help you develop as a person. Well, uh, Tam, the, the love and passion is clear. Thank you for sharing with us. And it, it bleeds through in all the reviews we read on GameSpot. Um, so thank you. thank you for coming on and breaking down the process for us and learned a lot. Um, as someone who grew up having the Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories GameSpot review bookmarked on my cool. family computer, uh, it's fun getting to see behind the curtain. Man, Kingdom Hearts 3, that was a game <laughs> I reviewed, and it was one of the hardest reviews that I've ever done, I think. It was it was wild because, like, it was hard because I love Kingdom Hearts. I also despise Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> I despise what Kingdom Hearts has become, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. In a lot of ways, where it's like I, as I as I've grown as a person and my storytelling kind of like uh, tastes have changed. Like I've become further and further away from a lot of the things that Kingdom Hearts does or has become, you know. And it, it was like tricky because I went into that review and I was like, "This is going to be weird because I love this franchise, but also it's going to tell us it's the ending of a story that is utterly baffling and nonsensical in, in on every conceivable level." <laughs> and then I like started playing it, and dearly beloved started playing, it and I just like I just immediately broke into tears. Yep. And I was like, "I love this series so much." And then I started playing the game, and the parts of it I didn't like, and the parts of it was just like really like touched me and. I was just like, this is such a hard review because I simultaneously hate and love this game. <laughs> and, and by the time I was done, like I felt like I, I ended in a good place. I think I gave it an 8 out of 10. And if you read the last paragraph, it was like, this isn't about Kingdom Hearts 3 for me. This is about the entire journey I've been on Kingdom mm. Hearts, right from you know the first moment Sora and Kyrie and Riku left the island to where we are now. And yeah, it's... It's bizarre that that was a rough review. It's probably <laughs> one of the hardest reviews. You would, you, if you had asked, if you like, had to guess what my hardest reviews were, you'd probably say like Elden Ring or Sekiro or something like that. It's probably Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I used to, st- I, I, when I was writing the review, I was in the UK and um, I would, uh, while writing the review, I would go outside the office just in the, f- in the like cold London air and pace back and forth while listening to Simple and Clean <laughs> to try to like, get into the right mindset. And I was like, 
Yes, if other people could see what's happening there, see this grown man <laughs> listening to like a, a, a Utara Hikaru song just on the verge of tears, they'd be like, what is happening in that building? <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, simple and clean. There's not a moment where you can't put that song on and I'm not going to horribly sing yeah. along to it. So yeah. I yeah, get same. to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Tam, thank you again for your time. Uh, where can the people find you? And, you know, we didn't get to touch on it a whole lot, but also, you know, point people in the direction of Spot On as well. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on GameSpot, on Twitter, at um, H. I'm, I also stream on Twitch. I've been uh, trying to stream uh, uh, a lot, but uh, these days it's been tricky because of a lot of work stuff and visa stuff and also um, some other life stuff as well. Um, I am on Twitch. I do I intend on getting back to streaming. My Twitter is just full of like constant shit posting for the most <laughs> part, but I do like occasionally try and give my take on games. Um, yeah, and then Spot On is a... Uh, a new show that I do with Lucy. Um, it's a news show, but the thing that we try and make sh- uh, sure I differentiate uh, from the others is it's not about recapping the news. We figured by the time you get to the show on a Friday, you'll have heard 10 different podcasts that will uh, go over the same stuff over and over again. And I just don't want to repeat that stuff. Um, so we try and take a subject matter that's relevant or just is in our minds timely or the big story of the week and do a deep dive on that. And it's kind of it. It hinges upon myself and Lucy's kind of like understanding of the industry, our experience and our friendship. We've worked together for many, 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 many years. So we have a very comfortable and like uh, she's my closest friend and like we have a good work and friend dynamic that we bring to to um, to the show as well. Um, so that's the the weekly show. It's also one part of a new lineup of shows that we launched Um recently um it's every every day there's a new episode of a new show going out um and each of it is designed to be an extension of a personality of the personality the, of the person who made it so at the time we're recording this it's tuesday it's a little bit hard a little bit a uh, look behind the scene and tuesday is kurt locker day kurt locker is a show about kurt indovina who's one of our people and it's just a random kind of thought that he's had that he expresses through his own way you know today's about like uh that uh, today's latest episode is about playing Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, a single player game, but feeling more connected to the community than any other multiplayer game has given him. We have No Hard, which is about Jean Luc and Jake finding new ways to play old games. We've got How It Saved, which is Dave looking at games that reverse the fortunes of franchises and, and that kind of stuff. We've got um, a bunch of other shows that I'm definitely forgetting um, the names of, uh, but yeah, we've got a we launched a, a a new slate of shows that we're super proud of. I think if you watch them, you'll see how like how much effort and time and uh, production goes into it, and and you'll I reckon you'll enjoy it. So please enjoy those, check those out on uh, youtubecom gamespot Yes, all of that will be linked in the description on this episode. You can find me everywhere at Sam Scott Mosher. Find Caitlin everywhere at Caitlin Redwing. Follow the show at Real Time Strats, not just on Twitter, but also on YouTube. Yes, if you're listening to this, we are on YouTube for the first time tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for our first YouTube episode. Hell yeah. I said the bar low. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, our handle on YouTube is at Realtime Strats as well. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. And uh, with that, Tam, any closing thoughts, any any final things we didn't ask you about that you want to get off your chest in terms of game reviews? No, I think um, I think we covered a, a lot of ground there. Apologies. I am a rambly person. So if you're listening to this and you're like, why is this guy not stop talking? It's just I, I, I have ADHD. You oh same and you made Sam and I's life easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just enjoy games, enjoy the process, uh, be kind to each other, 
my my I always end my stream by giving the my three rules of having a good life, which is be kind to each other, get loads of sleep, drink loads of water. Um, that's it. Love it. I need to work on the sleep thing, but yeah, I'll same. just get some <laughs> water and hydrate. All right. Well, with that, thank you again, Tam. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks, everyone.